Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Hadestown. It's a love song. First, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. I want to address a couple of points here in our opening segment. <laughs> we recently had a suggestion from a listener, Carrie, as to someone who could be inducted into the Cream Pie Cutie Club. We have not talked about the Cream Pie Cutie Club in a while, in a hot bit. <laughs> And now we have a brand new member, thanks to Carrie. Thank you, Carrie, for suggesting Leslie Odom Jr. Of course, that makes total sense. He is now in the Cream Pie Cutie Club. We are always taking suggestions for the CPCC. My only stipulations, as a reminder, are as follows. Number one, they need to have at least one Broadway or one West End credit, okay? Number two, I, I, this is a subjective criteria. Criterion Collection. Oh, I'm talking about that in a second. I must be capable of picturing them throwing me onto my back and turning me into a cream pie, if you get my drift. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Monty Python. The current roster of the CPCC, the Cream Pie Cutie Club, is as follows. As a reminder, do not bother suggesting any of these gentlemen. They are already in. They are already in the club. Okay. Okay. So here's our current roster: Isaac Cole Powell, Hector Rivera, Ben Platt, Tellily Young, Jelani Aladdin, Devin Elaw, Sam Tutty, Charlie Stemp, Ethan Slater, Luke Brady, Jordan Fisher, Matt Manuel, Anthony Ramos, Ramin Karamlu, Harvey Firestein, Jeremy George. Jordan, Tommy Bracco, Daniel Radcliffe, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Nick Robinson, Chris McCarl, Tom Holland, Nick Jonas, Raul Esparza, Jonathan Groff, Christian Borrell, David Diggs, Conrad Ricamora, Matt Doyle, Tony Yazbeck, Darren Chris, Andrew Rannells, Jake Gyllenhaal, Nathan Lane, Douglas Sills, Wesley Taylor, and now, of course, Leslie Odom Jr., okay, all right? I want to hear your suggestions, okay? I cannot guarantee that your suggestions will ultimately be interesting into the club, but it wouldn't hurt for you to throw those names out there. Who do you think's a cutie pie? Who's a cream pie cutie? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Now, what else do I want to address here in this opening segment? Well, I checked in with Patty, Benny, Benny's girlfriend, and Patty's partner earlier this week via Zoom, of course, and I want to assure our listeners that everyone is doing well, including Patty and her partner's baby, who turns one in August. That's next month. Oh my gosh. I want to talk about Patty and Benny and the lives they have with their partners because I feel like Patty and Benny have sort of become a bit of an abstraction as of late. I talk about them every now and then. They get cited at the end of each and every episode, but you know, I just I want you to understand that their lives are continuing to develop and grow and they are thriving and flourishing, I do say. And you might be wondering, so okay, what is everyone up to during this ongoing pandemic of ours? Well, for one thing, Patty and her 
partner have decided to watch every film in the Criterion Collection. There's that reference. I think this is an amazing idea, even if the collection does include such terrible films as Miranda July's Me and You and Everyone We Know. How is that film in the collection? How do some of these titles slip through the cracks? I don't want to criticize the Criterion Collection curators, the CCCs. Uh, in any case, I support this highly ambitious cinephile pursuit. I'm very excited. I wish I could join them for a lot of these screenings. I hope to at some point in the future. And then meanwhile, Benny and his girlfriend have taken up knitting and quilting, which is delightful. That is so cozy. They are currently working on tiny hats and a quilt for Patty's baby, and those pictures are going to make me so happy. I've basically been subsisting on photos of Patty's baby. <laughs> Even before the pandemic, that was basically 90% of my diet. I understand Benny's girlfriend is technically better than Benny when it comes to knitting and quilting, but the nice thing about Benny is he is very, very patient. I've come to find that he is very patient in the face of any challenge, unlike, uh, say, me. Can you tell I miss Patty and Benny, Benny's girlfriend, Patty's partner, that baby? I always feel sad when our Zoom calls come to an end. Does anyone else feel that way when you Zoom call your friends or your family and then afterwards, you know, you were having the time of your life during the call and then the call ends and you feel like shit? <laughs> well, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Always, every time, that's how I wind up feeling. But what can you do? I mean, I miss everyone. I care about what... But, 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 we got to be responsible, of course, of course. So let's get the show facts. That's it. That's all I have to say in the opening segment. The opening segment is closed. Until next week. Now let's get the show facts regarding this week's subject, Hadestown. Show me the show facts. Okay, okay. Hadestown was the 2019 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 17th, 2019 at the Walter Kerr Theater and has logged 376 performances as of March 15th, 2020. Okay, so the book, music, and lyrics of Hadestown were all written by Anais Mitchell. It was co-conceived, the show was co-conceived by Ben T. Matchstick, wonderful last name. The director of the Broadway production was Rachel Chafkin, who you might remember as the director of Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet of 1812, which we have discussed here on the podcast. The musical director of Town, Liam Robinson. The choreographer, David Newman. Scenic design, Rachel Huck. Lighting design, Bradley King. Sound design, Nevin Steinberg and Jessica Boz. Costume design, Michael Krauss. And the original Broadway cast of Town included Reeve Carney, Andre DeShields, Amber Gray, Eva Noblezada, Patrick Page, Jewel Blackman, Broadway debut, Yvette Gonzalez-Nasir, Broadway debut, Afra Hines, Timothy Hughes, John Krause, Kimberly Marable, Ahmad Simmons, and Kay Trinidad. And I believe that's the full cast. I do not believe I left anyone out this week. Let's talk about the Tony Nods. <laughs> the Tony Nods. So... Town won Best Musical, of course, but it also won Best Original Score, Anais Mitchell, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Andre DeShields, Best Direction of a Musical, Rachel Chefkin, Best Orchestrations, Michael Chorney and Todd Sikafus, Best Scenic Design, Rachel Huck, Best Lighting Design, Bradley King, Best Sound Design, <laughs> Nevin Steinberg and Jessica Paz. Hello again. And then it was additionally nominated for Best Book of a Musical, Anais Mitchell. Best Leading Actress in a Musical, Eva Noblezada. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Patrick Page. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Amber Gray. Best Choreography, David Newman. And Best Costume Design, Michael Cross. So 14 nominations in total, 8 awards. At the end of the day, that's more than half. That is a real... I mean, I am really impressed by that fucking track record. 14 goddamn nominations and 
and you take home eight? Jesus Christ, that is a very clear stamp of approval from the Tony Award. The, the voting body, I should say, I'm rambling. Let's talk about the plot. Hades Town takes place in a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad apocalyptic wasteland where the gods and figures of Greek mythology roam. Everyone is covered in a thick layer of grime, and it is simply no fun at all. Come to think of it, it actually, the aesthetic reminds me a lot of Urine Town. But instead of Officer Lockstock, the position of narrator falls to Hermes, god of boundaries, roads, travelers, commerce, thieves, athletes, shepherds, and psychopomps. If you, like me, are curious to know more about psychopomps, they are, quote, creatures, spirits, angels, or deities, quote, who guide the newly departed to the afterlife. They appear throughout a variety of religions and are not to be confused with Psychopomp, the 2016 album by Japanese Breakfast. Psychopomp, the song from Canadian rock band The Tea Party. You wanted this So sad to see The sweet decay Of ecstasy what were we talking about? Oh, yes, Hermes, of course. Hermes brands himself as an objective observer of the world, one who doesn't take sides or feel pity for those he encounters, but he clearly has a soft spot for Orpheus, a mortal musician who serves as the god's ward. Orpheus is an incurable romantic. Orpheus views the hellscape around him not as it is, but for what it could be, the kid is practically overflowing with youthful optimism. These qualities stand in stark contrast to those of his lover, Eurydice. Eurydice has been thoroughly hardened by life and is constantly at the mercy of the fates, spirits who inspire fear and doubt in her mind. Orpheus, at the behest of Hermes, asks for Eurydice's hand in marriage, but she resists the proposal. The world is cruel. The world is wicked. How will they survive as a couple? Long story short, she does not trust Orpheus's ability to support their union. Might want to listen more to that instinct. Orpheus is like, oh, come on, don't you worry about that, Eurydice. See, I'm writing a song that will totally change the world forever. Things may look bad now, but once this song of mine is done, everything will be sunshine and lollipops. Eurydice is understandably skeptical in the face of this plan. Persephone, goddess of the underworld, springtime, flowers, and vegetation, pays the human world a visit to kick back, relax, and otherwise party like it's 1999. Everyone is having a gay old time because Persephone is a blast who inspires warmth and good feeling. Within this pocket of happiness, Eurydice and Orpheus vow to stay together forevermore. Eh, but it's not that simple. Warm days are soon replaced by the bitter chill, the bitter bite of a winter. And Persephone cannot stay in the human world forever. She must take the train back to Hades Town, an underground factory overseen by her lover, Hades. Hades, god of the underworld, the dead, and riches. 
Riches, you say? <laughs> Eurydice is intrigued by this talk of riches. The fates encourage Eurydice to take her own journey to Hades Town, despite the fact that it is generally known to be a horrifying place. But what's a girl to do when winter arrives, she doesn't have food or shelter, and her fella is too busy writing songs to get a job? Hades, feeling similarly frustrated with Persephone, ventures to the mortal world in search of new love. It is there he meets Eurydice and offers her a one-way ticket to Hades Town. Like it or not, a life in Hades Town would improve our heroine's chances of survival, and so she accepts the god's offer. Orpheus appears on the scene moments after their departure, and when Hermes informs him of what has happened, the young man vows to retrieve Eurydice at any cost. Hermes provides Orpheus with directions to Hades Town as Eurydice helps to build a wall around her new home. Hades is all about building walls. It is very much his thing. As Act 2 begins, Eurydice comes to the awful realization that staying with Hades is no longer a matter of choice. She has signed a contract, one that prevents her from leaving the world of the underground unless Hades signs off on the departure. This contract is airtight. There are no take-backsie loopholes, so our heroine is seemingly screwed. Orpheus succeeds in arriving at Hades Town, but his efforts to win Eurydice back are fruitless. Hades abuses him, the fates mock him, and he is left to stew in humiliation. <laughs> but there are those in Hades Town who view Orpheus as more than a tragic figure. The factory workers, having long suffered under the rule of Hades, are inspired by Orpheus's mission. They align themselves with our hero and proceed to march, march, march against Hades. Ah! Persephone encourages Hades to free Eurydice, but the god refuses to cede a speck of ground. He orders Orpheus to sing for his amusement. And luckily for all involved, our boy has recently finished the song he believes will change the world for the better. Orpheus's performance moves Hades, reminding the god that he still loves Persephone despite their troubles. But what is Hades to do? I mean, if he refuses to let Eurydice go, she will be branded as a martyr. That's no good. And if he sets her free, the workers will view him as weak. That's no good. Finally, a decision is made. Orpheus and Eurydice may leave Hades town. Orpheus will lead the way, but, 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 big but, big juicy but. If he ever looks back at Eurydice, even once during their journey back home, she will be doomed to remain in Hades Town for eternity. As the newly reconciled Hades and Persephone avow their love for one another, Eurydice and Orpheus make their way back to the mortal world. And their journey is a fine one! Orpheus never turns to look back at Eurydice, not even once. Well, yes, okay, okay, yes, he does look at her once. He does it once. He turns around with maybe ten yards to go, and just like that, poof, snap, Eurydice is condemned to a life in Hades Town. You fucked up, Orpheus. You had one job, dude. Despite this lamentable conclusion, Hermes and the rest of the company sing, sing, of how the story must be told, how hope in the face of seemingly inevitable disaster is all that we have. Sure, everything went tits up this time around, but perhaps the ending will be happier with the next recitation. Or, you know, maybe Orpheus will fuck it all up all over again. He'll probably fuck it all up all over again. Orpheus, my man, 
You had one job. Before we move on, I'd like to read the first sentence of my synopsis again, taking a moment to expand upon it. I hope you'll indulge me, okay? Hades Town takes place in a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad apocalyptic wasteland where gods and figures of Greek mythology roam. Rome, Greek, Greece, Rome, Greek, Greece, Rome, Greek, Greece, Rome, Greece, Rome. That joke belongs to my husband, Chris. And I told him he would receive all of the credit for that joke. He also wanted me to reference the fact that Paul Schaefer played Hermes in Disney's Hercules. Why, Hermes, they're lovely. Yeah, you know, I had Orpheus do the arrangement. Isn't that too nutty? Fabulous party. You know, I haven't seen this much love in a room since Narcissus discovered himself. <clears throat> did you enjoy that clip? I'm sure you did. Uh, let's talk about... <laughs> <laughs> For the purposes of this episode, let's talk about what I listened to, what I watched, what I didn't listen to. Let's start with what I did not listen to. For the record, I did not listen to Anais Mitchell's 2009 concept album or the 2016 original off-Broadway cast album, which was recorded live at the New York Theatre Workshop. You know, can I actually jump back to our Funny Girl episode? There is a London cast recording of Funny Girl that came out within the last couple of years. I want to say maybe just in 2019. And I, I just could not find that. There were a couple of tracks on Spotify, but the full album was not available, so I didn't even bother with the few tracks they were making available. I just, and you couldn't buy it digitally? It's just, I, I don't understand what's going on with that album, but okay, so let's get back to Town. I just wanted to throw that out there. That's been on my mind as of late. I would love to sit down with those other Town recordings on a future date, but I mean, as we all know, there is only so much time in a week, and so I decided to focus my efforts on the Broadway materials. Now, with that said, I listened to the 2019 original Broadway cast album, and I watched the 2019 Tony Awards performance of the song, Wait For Me. Now, this performance left me feeling bewildered back in 2019, if I am recalling correctly. I had no frame of reference for the plot of Town, which I actually thought was a lot more complicated than it actually is. And so no meaningful, I had no meaningful ability to process what was, uh, shall we say, happening. So I gave myself permission at the time to appreciate the visuals and not really worry about anything and everything else. Ooh, would you look at all of those lamps, is what I thought to myself. They are swinging those lamps around. Early burly. It's not every day you see that. That was essentially my big takeaway from the performance. I liked it, but it left no meaningful impression. Now, having explored the various nooks and crannies of Hades Town over the past week, the Tony's performance is somehow even more bewildering than it was a year ago, instead of offering a standalone number or a medley, director Rachel Chavkin finds herself in a murky no-man's land of in-betweens. The medley portion is more of a parade of actors who appear and disappear in an instant, often without saying a word. Very strange. And while we ostensibly watch Reeve Carney and company perform Wait For Me, or at least some version of it, the whole affair feels wobbly and unsure of itself. Very surprising to me. I feel like a potential investor at a workshop when I'm watching this. A workshop where everything has been partially staged and everyone is marginally under-rehearsed. Now look, I'm all for Reeve Carney getting thrown around by burly members of the ensemble, but can anyone tell me what we're building toward here? Did someone miss their cue? 
Or has Cardi really been left to stumble through a half inch of dry ice for nearly four minutes? And then just like that, the performance sputters to a halt. It's done. The effect is aggressively anticlimactic, and the audience quite obviously has no idea if they should applaud. Are we done? Uh, we're, we're done? Okay, clap, clap, clap. Do not leave your audience out to dry like this. I hate seeing this. Oh my God. Give them a hard out for crying out loud. Now, I'm obviously no Rachel Chavkin. I don't even think I need to say that, but I am obviously no Rachel Chavkin. I do not have a Tony Award for Best Director of a Musical. I have never directed a musical. I have never put together a Tony Awards package. Obviously, but I do have the benefit of hindsight. Isn't that a wonderful gift? And a few suggestions as to potential alternatives. I don't say this with a sneer. I just have some very eager suggestions, okay, for alternatives. Suggestion number A, okay? Use living it up on top as a mothership number and have cast members break away from it to offer selections from their own material. And then they can return back to a big finish for living it up on top. Huh? Yeah, yes, yes. Suggestion number B. Present the chant sequence from this show. Chant is a thrilling, beautifully constructed collage that encapsulates everything Town is about. Would it have run a bit long for a standard Tony's broadcast? Yes, sure. But I'm convinced, I'm convinced, viewers would have gone wild for it. More importantly, Chant showcases the entire cast, vocally, which brings me to my biggest question regarding this performance that we got... Why would anyone hand over 99% of available stage time to Reeve Carney while relegating Amber Gray, Patrick Page, and Ava Noblezada to the wings? That is a wild and crazy kid's decision, if ever there was one. Gray, Page, and Noblezada were up for acting awards. Carney was not even nominated. Please understand, I am deeply in the pocket of Ava Noblezada, and I found it insulting how she was made to skedaddle after shouting, Orpheus! What? I mean, she's on national television, and this is what you have her do? Orpheus! Gray and Paige don't even speak. Ugh, it's such a waste. I suppose now would be as good a time as any to mention how Frank Wildhorn's Wonderland consistently came to mind whenever the fates would ask, who are you? Oh, I'm sorry, is no one else familiar with the supremely okay character number advice from a caterpillar from the flop musical Wonderland? Am I an island unto myself here, a lonely dot on the map of God's creation? Oh, alas, alack. young girl, a runaway from everywhere she'd ever been. She was no stranger to the world, no stranger to the wind. Weather ain't the way it was before. Ain't no spring or fall at all anymore. It's either blazing hot or freezing cold. Anyway, the wind blows And there ain't a thing that you, you can, can do When the weather takes a turn on you Said for hurry up and hit the road Anyway, the wind blows 
There is a hell of a lot of talent knocking around in old Hades Town, but if I had to pick an MVP, an MVP, it would be Ava Noblezada, no doubt about it. Her voice rang like a fucking silver bell in my ear this week, and I instantly understood how someone could fall in love with her character. Coy, scrappy, confident, and streetwise, who wouldn't want to hop a train with Eurydice? She's the best and deserves a hell of a lot more time in the spotlight. One side, Orpheus, make way. Many would consider my choosing Noble Zada over Andre de Shields as controversial. That's a controversial choice, Jonathan. But I stand by my choice. I am, of course, a big fan of Andre de Shields. His work in Ain't Misbehaving is stellar, and I cannot wait to hear him again when we eventually cover The Wiz. The man has a once-in-a-generation voice. No one sounds like Andre de Shields, and few can apply this much power to text. What Andre DeShields does with words is beyond acting, okay? When he speaks, you feel as if you are listening to a prophet, which is why casting him as a Greek god is such a no-brainer dud-doy of a choice. We're talking about the song Anyway the Wind Blows, by the way. I suppose I should have said that right up top. It's a soothing number that allowed me to drift away and forget all my cares. And when I sat with it a second time, I was struck by how Anais Mitchell's lyrics lay the groundwork for her biggest theme. That being how stories reflect the cyclical trajectory of human progress, or the lack thereof. Our needs and doubts propel us toward and away from a better world, and the mistakes we make will be made time and again. But knowing this doesn't slow us down or cause us to fall apart. Life can only be improved if you survive it, and so we toughen up before jumping back into the fray. Mitchell supports this theme via Hermes, who routinely repeats select bits of info about Orpheus and Eurydice. Orpheus wears his heart on his sleeve. Eurydice is hungry and often runs away. Eurydice sees the world as it is. Orpheus sees the world as it could be, etc. The repetition of these statements reminds us of how basic these characters, and by extension people, are when it comes to their motivations. Optimism and pessimism, fight or flight instincts, these are constantly at war within us all. They are what compel us to make big promises, take bold action, hunker down, turn away, or fight back. And they also inform our victories and our failures. We are, of course, free to judge the actions of our lead characters, but the show asks us to refrain from condemning them, uh, either of them, outright. Would we have done any better in their place, is the real question. I'm talking a lot. Let's hear another song, shall we? Down, you're down. When you're 
sunshine bright, that's right. Persephone, who makes the fruit of the vine get right? Persephone, that's me. I get the sense that Living It Up on Top is striving to be a real barn burner of a number, one that introduces Persephone so she can whip the crowd up a bit. I'm here, motherfuckers. Show me what you're working with. The song never quite takes off. It really never achieves that barn burner status. But you have to admire what Amber Gray is doing within the song. She's a total stinker as the goddess of springtime, a cartoon minx who purrs and snaps and slides her way into your heart. I particularly enjoy how she responds to her own name with a husky, goggle-eyed, that's me, Persephone, that's me. <laughs> I could have used way more of this weirdo energy from Hades Town. I'm not saying the show is entirely self-serious, but room could be made, room could have been made for a few more goofs and gags. I love a goof and a gag. A question for the Hades Town fans out there. Does anyone else hear Adina Menzel when they hear Amber Gray? Menzel has had her fair share of sassy solos in the past, from the life of the party to see what I want to see, and I believe she would have a blast playing Persephone. This is not to say Amber Gray should be put out of a job. If and when Hades Town returns to Broadway, all I'm saying is that if Gray were to leave the show, those in charge would be wise in striking a deal with Menzel. They are two peas in a pod. I was alone so long I didn't even know that I was lonely Out in the cold so long I didn't even know that I was cold Turn my collar to the wind This is how it's always been This episode has officially turned into a love letter for Ava Nobolzada, which is why I wanted to ensure we heard at least a bit of All I've Ever Known. As songwriters, Anais Mitchell and Sarah Borales have a lot in common, I think. Their ballads draw from a common well of gentle reflection. They are a joy to experience those ballads. Nobolzada, for her part, sounds a heck of a lot like Borales on this track, and by the end of it, I was positively mooning for her. Mooning, mamoo! My thoughts on Reeve Carney are all over the map, actually. He's at his best when alongside Noble Zada. There's a rosy, velveteen quality to their pairing, and I'm sure they could easily make a living performing at high-end weddings until the end of recorded time. But on his own, Carney's Orpheus can be a bit... Eh, reedy and eh, whiny. There is a moment in the Tony's performance where he goes up on his toes to shout, Eurydice! And I nearly burst out laughing every time I watch it. The character is naive. I accept that. He is a fawn with enormous eyes that are forever filled with unspoiled morning dew. But if I'm picturing him in a cloth diaper and booties, we have officially gone too far. Again, when he's singing with Noble Zada, it's a little slice of heaven, a scrumptious, scrumptious slice of heaven. Persephone gone, the cold came on. He came too soon. He came for her too soon. 
it's not supposed to be like this. Well, till someone brings the world back into tune. This is how it is. Orpheus had a gift to give. Hey, where are you going? Touched by the gods is what he wants. I have to finish the song. Finish it quick. The wind is changing. There's a storm coming on. Wind comes up. Under a gathering storm. This is the worst take you will hear in this episode, but I would be interested, here comes the take, I would be interested in seeing a Hades Town film directed by Julie Taymor. I know there's a, <laughs> I bet you can taste pennies in your mouth. Maybe you like the idea, too. Maybe we're on the same side. I don't know. Now, I'm certain Rachel Chavkin would deliver a better product if, you know, if she were to get that job. And if push came to shove, I would want the job to go to her. But come on, you're saying you're not the least bit interested, even morbidly curious to know what Taymor's take on this would look like? I think you're lying if your answer is no. Uh, now, consider how Tamar would approach the visuals for a gathering storm, let's say. I imagine, I imagine towering blood pink cloud banks, fields of pale windswept grass, jagged peaks, and dirty shorelines butting up against white ocean waves. And in the center of it all, Orpheus walking away from Eurydice. Elation gives way to creeping despair. Promises made are placed on a shelf for a later date. And the shadows that dance at the edge of your periphery are starting to make you dizzy. This is totally up Tamora's alley. And yes, I of course would allow her to use masks and puppets. Julie masks and puppets. It's all a package deal. Going back to Reeve Carney for a second, you, you get what I was saying earlier about him, right? He keeps putting pinch after pinch of nervous energy on top of his vocals, and after a while he sounds like a naked mole rat trying to get your attention on a busy street. Excuse me? Uh, what? Careful! Uh, my god, why is the world so cruel? Funnily enough, Reeve Carney's performance kept calling to mind Julie Taymor's Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, which makes sense because Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark starred, you guessed it, Reeve Carney as Peter Parker. I knew there was a connection there somewhere. It was his Broadway debut. Oh, keep your head, keep your head low. Oh, you gotta keep your head low. If you wanna keep your head hook. Oh, you gotta keep your head low. In the coldest time of year, why is it so hot down here? Hotter than a crucible. It ain't right and it ain't natural. Oh, lover, you were gone so long. Lover, I was lonesome. So I built a foundry. In the ground beneath your feet, here I fashioned things of steel, oil drums and automobiles. Then I kept that furnace fed with the fossils of the dead. 
Lover, when you feel that fire, think of it as my desire. Think of it as my desire for you. track on the OBC album by a mile. I am in total awe of Anais Mitchell's skills when it comes to layering. Layering! I am moving between floors via freight elevator during this song. I am watching semi-transparent colored gels as they are stacked on top of each other to create something beautiful. Hearing her build this out piece by piece is a wonderful experience, and at six and a half minutes it goes by in an instant. If you can only choose one track from this album, go with Chant. Assorted thoughts regarding Chant. I, I adore the sneaky steam powered piston K, the K, that appears with every use of the word low. Look, keep your head, keep your head look. <laughs> I was, a, I think I went a little too high for that. I've been singing that all week. Sorry, I, sorry, Les Miserables, but your look down, look down is looking a bit stale by comparison. Here's a fun parallel. Hades uses the bones of the dead to fuel his foundry and his power grid, which is essentially what the American government is doing to ensure the country's reopening right now as I speak. Fun parallels. Making money is more important to this administration than the health of its citizens, and Donald Trump does not care if you live or die, if anything, he wants you to die. He would throw Baron into the furnace, and I do not make that statement lightly. That's not a joke. I believe he would throw Baron into the furnace. I'm struck by how Orpheus reminds me of the sort of woke liberal who spends most of his free time running down moderates on Twitter and can never seem to remember his girlfriend's birthday. And when his girlfriend asks him to remember her birthday, he says something like, Oh, come on! Don't you see? Birthdays are a capitalist construct in the new world. We won't have birthdays! Orvius is a wormy little pill, is what I'm saying. Do I condemn him? No. Do I empathize with him? No. Do I like him? No. Hey, little songbird. Give me a song I'm a busy man And I can't stay long I got clients to call I got orders to fill I got walls to build I got riots to quell And they're giving me hell Back in the 80s Hey, little song 
scratchy tongue Always a pity for one so pretty and young When poverty comes to clip your wings And knock the wind right out of your lungs Ain't nobody sings on empty never hear the blackest tar vocal fry of a Tom Waits or a Johnny Cash on Broadway, which is why I found Patrick Page's turn as Hades strangely refreshing. Both Page and Noble Zada are doing an excellent job within Hey Little Songbird, and I especially like how the latter's sparrow-bright sound contrasts with the former's limestone brown bear rumble. Noble Zada has one other Broadway credit, that being Kim in Miss Saigon, so we need to ensure she keeps racking up those big-time gigs once everything reopens. Scratch that, she needs to be paid today, 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 pay Noble Zada today. Every actor deserves to be paid right now, uh, yes, of course, but Noble Zada, I'm sorry, you're first in line for all future opportunities. Hashtag pay Ava. Yvette Gonzalez-Nasir and Kay Trinidad are perfect as the fates. Perfect. They are giving Ronette, Crystal, and Chiffon from Little Shop a run for their money. They are giving the radio ladies from Caroline or Change a run for their money. In summary, they are standing toe-to-toe with every landmark trio from the musical theater canon. The Fates are right up there. The Fates have a nifty acapella number in Act 2 called Nothing Changes. But if you're looking for block party bounce... Look no further than When the Chips Are Down. It has so much crossover appeal and could totally work as a single. Am I wrong? I'm also hearing the triplets of Belleville somewhere in here. Am I wrong? I am rarely ever wrong. How to get to Hades Town? You have to take the long way down Through the underground, under cover of night Laying low, staying out of sight Ain't no compass, brother Ain't no map Just a telephone wire and a railroad track Keep on walking and don't look back Till you get to the bottom line Wait for me I'm coming
sticks as high and wide, cinder bricks and razor wire, walls of iron and concrete, hound dogs howling round the gate, those dogs are laid down and play dead, if you got the bones, if you got the bread, but if all you got is your own two legs, just be glad you got them. Wait for me, I'm coming, wait, I'm coming with you, wait for me, I'm coming to, I'm coming to. The chorus from Wait For Me is short, wickedly simple, and oh so sweet. It was brewed in a witch's cauldron <laughs> to ensure no one would ever forget it, and I wouldn't want to even if I could. There, I said it. And Andre DeShields, what are you doing over here? Are you knocking it out of the park again? The occasionally terrifying authority he lends to Hermes left me, left every hair on me, buddy, standing on end, I do say. I'm pretty sure I would follow any orders Andre DeShields gave. You want me to do what? Right away, good sir, with all due haste, good sir. Hermes' bark may be worse than his bite, but that doesn't make the bark resonate any less. He's an irritable father looking out for your best interests, you big, stupid dummy. Clean out those ears and stand up straight, I say. What I'm saying is Andre de Shields could make a lot of money if he was on Cameo. Maybe he is already on Cameo. I don't know. I own a flip phone. I would pay him $100 to tell me to go to sleep. Go to sleep, Jonathan! Yes, sir. Why do we build the wall? My children, my children, why do we build the wall? the Act 1 finale, Why We Build the Wall, is how its style of commentary is 
Fiercely straightforward. I really respect that. Anais Mitchell is not interested in appearing clever. Her only goal is to plainly address how fascist propaganda works. That's what this song is about. Fascism is uncomplicated and exists beyond parody, which is why you have to tackle it head-on within the context of art. Let's face it, by the time Hadestown premiered on Broadway in 2019, the year of our Lord, satire was a little more than a feast for the worms. It was beyond dead. We did not and do not have time for the likes of, oh, let's just use a random example, uh, the likes of a Randy Rainbow. That brand of toothless G. Willikers artistic activism, quote unquote, only serves to normalize the horrors of a horrifying age. And if we're not more selective, if we're not careful, if we're not more selective, as to who we raise up within our community, we will be singing the songs of Randy Rainbow as we're lowered into a grave. Less Randy Rainbows and more Anais Mitchells, I say. to a track like Flowers and Not Imagine, an enormous future for Ava Noblezada, you are a loon. Honk, honk. You are a loon. Honk, honk. And I do not understand you, honk, honk. She needs a recording contract as of yesterday. I can totally imagine her holding her own in that sphere while keeping one foot in the theater. Ava, I, I want you to know this podcast is in your corner. Do you get that, Ava? You're not listening. I hope you are. <laughs> your voice inspires so much romantic feeling in me. It makes me so happy. It rids me of fright and it leaves me positively punch drunk. Do you have a fan club? How do I sign up for and then become the president of... Yeah, fan club. I am a homosexual, to be clear. Orpheus? Yes? You finished it? Yes. Now what do I do? You take me home with you. Let's go. Let's go right now. Okay, let's go. How? We'll walk. You know the way. We'll just go back the way you came It's a long road It's a long walk Back into the cold and dark Are you sure you want to go? Take me home I have no ring for your 
stop giggling over how Reeve Carney delivers some of these lines. He simply isn't capable of saying a word like yes without sounding as if he's been caught humping a body pillow. Orpheus, yes! <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Promises is a meditation on relationships that I found to be equal parts sentimental and sensible. It 100% caught my fancy. Even after all of their trials and tribulations, Orpheus and Eurydice still have a galaxy of love for one another, but they've come to understand how vows are meaningless if they're not supported by your basic actions. You actually have to follow through and do the work of helping your partner. You can't spend every second of your life Life with two fingers firmly up your butt. I'm looking at you, Orpheus. Huh? What? No. <laughs> you don't gotta tell me. I, I totally got the lesson. <laughs> la, 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 la. I'll never make another mistake for as long as I live. See, therein lies your problem, stupid. No one's asking you to be perfect, Orpheus. Okay, to air is human, yada, 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 yabba, dabba, do. But you can't go around making outsized promises if you can't even keep the basic ones. I keep all of my promises, the big and the small, la, 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 la. You couldn't be bothered to gather food or firewood for Eurydice and you condemned her to a lifetime in hell when you couldn't keep your eyes on the prize. But the fates, uh, twas they who seeded the weed of doubt in my mind. Oh, shut up. Shut the fuck up, Orpheus. Shut up. Why would he let her go? Who am I to think that he wouldn't deceive me? To make me leave alone Doubt comes in Is this a trap that's being laid for me? Doubt comes in Is this a trick that's being played on me? Doubt comes in I used to see the way the world can be Walking on But now the way it is is all I see And where is she? It's you. It's me. Orpheus. 
see. So, like, I, yeah, I do, I do, I do see how Orpheus is manipulated by the fates into fucking up. Uh-huh, yeah, the fuck-up isn't entirely his fault, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, when Orpheus fucks up, he is the only one I want to shove down a small flight of stairs. The fates are just doing their job. You had a job, Orpheus. One job, and you fucked it all up. I can't get over how Anais Mitchell takes the air out of this Doubt Comes In sequence. Eurydice is in the throes of this golden anthem dedicated to the love of her life. And when Orpheus turns to her, it's like she's been stabbed. This woman spent the majority of her first life running from everything that frightened her, and just when she'd found her courage, this moron firebombs her chance for a second life. Very sad. No good. To be totally honest, I'm more invested in Ava Noblezada than the character of Eurydice. Ava cannot live in hell. What? No, that's very bad. No good. I... It's an old song. It's an old tale from way back when. It's an old song. And that is how it ends. That's how it goes. Don't ask why, brother, don't ask how he could have come so close. The song was written long ago. And that is how it goes. It's a sad song It's a sad tale It's a tragedy I mean, let's be real. They should have presented a thousand medallions to Andre de Shields at the 2019 Tony Awards. One medallion is not enough. He is an intensely captivating performer, and I have no idea why his isn't the last voice you hear, we hear, on this album. Hermes began the story, and he should be the one to end it. The Road to Hell reprise may technically serve as the show's finale, but... If what I've read on Wikipedia is true, the Hades Town curtain call is followed by a ballad, that being We Raise Our Cups. It's a bit of a snooze, but we should drop in a bit of it while we're here, right? Right, <laughs> Some flowers bloom where the green grass grows. Our praise is not for them, but the ones who bloom in the bitter snow. We raise our cups to them We raise our cups and drink them up We raise them high and drink them dry
others good night Uh, yep, this definitely feels like a hat-on-a-hat situation. An evening at the theater shouldn't end on two subsequent bittersweet notes, especially if the first is notably more effective than the second. Quit while you're ahead, in my estimation. That's what you should do. And why is everyone raising their cups to Orpheus? What? If anything, they should be raising their cups to Orpheus and Eurydice. I want to hear both names, not Orpheus and to all of us. No, not all of us. Orpheus and Eurydice and all of us. Throw in the all of us after you mention Eurydice is what I fucking say. Eurydice is a co-lead, for fuck's sake. It's bad enough how the story often leaves her ignored, silenced, and enslaved. She can't even get a fucking toast for her troubles? Talk about a bunch of baloney. That's the end of our deconstruction of the Hades Town score. We are now going to hear a very special word from 5678 Coffee. This is a vintage 5678 ad that they have sent to us. It is from the 60s. It is so much fun. So take it away, 5678 Coffee. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Fred Robbins coming to you live from the Rainbow Room, a whopping 65 stories above New York streets. And we're here to talk to people about 5678 Coffee, a brand new product that is, in this reporter's estimation, proving to be quite the bell of the ball. Well, why, here's Ben Hecht. Ben, what did you think of the coffee? Uh, 5678 Cafe, coffee, coffin, coffee. The most remarkable cup of joe I've had in about the last ten years. I am very drunk. Sophie Tucker, darling, tell us what you thought, dear. Five, six, seven, eight has everything that I would call a star. This is star material. From now on, nothing will stop. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. I am very drunk. Leonard, what about you? The amazing thing about five, six, seven, eight coffee is that it is not an imitation. It is not a mimicry or aping. This is a great, great talent of 1964. I'm very drunk. Did I just say aping? Oh, God. Jason Robards on an off night from after the fall. <laughs> I was just stunned by this tremendous performance. <laughs> you know, I, I felt, what am I doing here when this coffee's got all that talent and all that class? Uh, I'm very drunk. Lauren Bacall, Robards, what'd you think, sweetie? Oh, hello. Yes, I'm very drunk as well. <laughs> I absolutely saw the best thing I ever saw in my life in that cup of coffee. Five, six, seven, eight has punch. It has pizzazz. It has an electric personality, which is what makes a star. Oh, don't tell the people at a high point I said that. Frank Farrell, what did you think? I thought it was a terribly exciting thing. Ed Sullivan was uh, sitting beside me across the way, and he was stunned. <laughs> I think he was one of the first ones to spot 5678 UO and uh, putting it onto his television program. But he had no idea of these other capacities that it has. Are you drunk, Frank? Oh, yes, Fred, very. <laughs> well, hey, look who we have here. It's Bob, Merrill, and Julie Stein. Boys, can you tell me what you thought about the coffee? It was really something. This is Julie talking, by the way. And this is Bobby. I loved it. Fred, I really did. But what makes this coffee so great anyhow? Because it's one of the greatest of our generation. Oh, shut up, Bobby. I can answer that question. Because 5678 is unique, original. Unfortunately, a lot of these coffee companies copy one another and fall into a tramp. This coffee has great taste, a marvelous, satisfying taste, and naturally, it's not pulling on my shirt tail. It's going to survive a lot of coffee brands that have bad taste. Stop tickling me. This coffee is unique. Honest. No fake. Honest. Five, six, seven, eight is one of the greatest coffees of my time, and I've had them all. Five, six, seven, eight is going to be the coffee. It's going to be in the coffee game for a long, long time, because we need five, six, seven, eight, and five, six, seven, eight needs us. Stop tickling me, Julie. You can count on it. I think we can all agree on that. Are you boys drunk?
drunk? I'm so fucking late. I am actively passing myself. Say, that's great, fellas. Just great. Well, it looks like everyone's gathering around old Jack Torrance for a photo, so I'd better bring this segment to a close. This is Fred Robbins coming to you live from the fabulous Rainbow Room in New York City. Hey, Jack, wait for me. Hi, no thoughts regarding Hades Town. All I wanted to do, all I wanted to do this week was get lost in a nice mood piece, and that is exactly what I got with Hades Town. I may not have fallen for the characters or the story, but I certainly fell for the score and the performances, which is no small thing. I'm certain my feelings for Hades Town will only grow with time, and I look forward to eventually sitting down with the concept and off Broadway albums. I say that, but you'll notice I haven't said a word about Funny Lady. <laughs> but Daddy never made a promise about Funny Lady, did Daddy? No, Daddy did not. Oh, as a reminder, in 2019, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Hades Town, and the additional nominees from that season were Beetlejuice, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, The Prom, and a previous subject on this podcast, Tootsie. Let's rank Hades Town against all of the other musicals we've talked about here on The Musical Man. I am placing Hades Town at number 23 between Natasha P. Year and the Great Comet of 1812 at number 22, and Bring In the Noise, Bring In the Funk at number 24. I have a couple of changes that I want to announce when it comes to this ranking. Les Miserables, you are now at number 30, and Funny Girl, you are at number 31, okay? Your neighbors now deal with it, okay? As always, you can look at this list, this ranking of ours, by going to Twitter. We are at Musical Man Pod. Go to our likes section. That first tweet will take you to a Google Sheet. Go to the second tab of the Google Sheet. That is our ranking, okay? All right. Show-related ephemera. Okay, we're going to be hearing a bit of Algebra Song. It is a song sung by Andre DeShields as part of John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, which is a show I still have not seen, which is insane because I love John Mulaney. Let's hear a bit of that song, Algebra Song. I'll sing a song about karmic wrath, how I lost my eye because I didn't know Born in Nola, but then we had to flee. Police were searching everywhere for a fella named Daddy. I'm a child of a common and a saintly mama. We fled for Chicago with nothing but pajamas. getting a Hades Town vibe from Eli Boland's music, but more than anything, Algebra Song proves that Andre DeShields can make any song sound like a sorcerer's spell. The story of a man who lost his eye to algebra? Sure. The step-by-step -step instructions from an Ikea manual? I'm here for it all. A couple of highlights from Andre DeShields' Broadway resume while we're here. He served as the choreographer for a Bette Midler concert that ran for 19 performances at the Palace Theater in December 1973. The name of that concert? Bette Midler. That's it. Fuck you. 
He was something like 27 years old at the time when he was the choreographer on this show. I mean, he was a baby, he was. DeShields also directed, choreographed, starred in, and wrote the book and a few of the songs for Andre DeShields' Harlem Nocturne, a review that ran for 49 performances at the Latin Quarter in October 1984. I have to assume Nocturne came about as a result of Eight Misbehavin' and its massive success, right? The man achieved blank check status on Broadway. That's so amazing. I almost chose to showcase a YouTube video I found called Grease is the Word. I, uh, that almost made the cut. But that would have been a mistake, okay? I, I, I admit that. You would have hated me for it and stopped listening to the podcast. I, I can't have that. I work too hard, I tell you. Uh, maybe he'll play a bit of Grease is the Word at the end of the episode. You know, after the outro music has a fun little extra. No, I will not be doing that. You are free to find. It's called Grease, G-R-E-E-C-E, Grease is the word. It's available on YouTube. It is, I believe, nearly fucking eight minutes long. It's children singing Grease parodies while dressed up as little Greek figures. It is, it's really unsettling, and I'm glad that Chris convinced me to not feature it here. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the Random Number Generator. I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Udinus Gay Asius Gray, the Igpe Atenlay Usakome. Everyone ready? Then away we go. <laughs> Alrighty, yabba dabba doo. Here we are in 1973. We are going to be talking about a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical from this season. It ran for 1,065 performances, and it is called Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, I, I can't make up show titles like that. Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Okay, all right, fair enough, musical carousel. I, I listen to what you tell me to do. So we'll be going to 1973 next week, and we'll be talking about Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. All right, I, I, don't, I don't know a fucking thing about that show, so that's going to be interesting. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you, yes, you, can support the show financially. As a reminder, our August 2020 payout, the payout right at the top of August, which represents all of the money we got through July, is going to be donated 100% of it to the Black Lives Matter organization, and that is going to be applied to every month moving forward. All of our payouts will be donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you get early access, Monday early access to main feed episodes. So instead of waiting until Wednesday, you'll get main feed episodes on Mondays. It's true. You also get a verbal shout out each and every week, okay? If you donate at least one dollar a month, let's do those verbal shout outs now. Thank you so much for being a donor. Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark S., Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get access to our bonus episodes. We have bonus episodes covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of Cats, a review of the stage production, Emma, a review of Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, and our most recent 
recent bonus episode covering Hamilton via Disney+. Plus. You also get, as a $1 a month donor, can you imagine getting all this shit? Oh my god. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and access to our brand new monthly series, M3, The Movie Musical Man, for which I watch and discuss trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our July 29th episode is, is known as the Go Off Trilogy. Our theme is Go Off. These are all movie adaptations of off-Broadway musicals. We're going to be talking about Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We're going to be talking about the last five years and Stuck. And our previous episode, our first episode of M3, was all about Stone Cold Classics, if you'll recall. That was The Wizard of Oz, Singing in the Rain, and The Umbrellas of Shabur. Okay? So let's say you donate $3 a month. You get everything I've already mentioned, plus you get a musical shout-out, a special musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You tell me who you want to hear from. You also get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, a podcast dedicated to every corner, nook, and cranny of the Disney High School Musical franchise. Let's move up to one more tier, okay? Let's move up to the $5 tier. You get everything I've already mentioned, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I talk about on the podcast. You tell me what show I'm going to be fucking talking about. You also get season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. And I just want everyone to know, because I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast. I've mentioned it on Twitter, but not here. Season two of All I Ask of You is going to begin in October of this year. That's true. Now, $5 a month donors also get access to my Broadway in Chicago review series. So far, I have reviewed Mean Girls, Once on this Island, Summer, the Donna Summer musical, and hopefully, fingers crossed, if this all works out, a few of these shows, you know, have come and gone, but I still technically have tickets and dates for Moulin Rouge, Six, My Fair Lady, The Devil Wears Prada, and Jesus Christ Superstar. You also get, as a $5 a month donor, access to Shout About It, Volume 1. That is a collection of 5, 6, 7, 8 ads and musical shoutouts from the first 25 episodes of the podcast. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, first of all, thank you, Jesus Christ, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus access to Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club. That is a special series about Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were snubbed. And we're also going to be premiering a brand new series for $10 a month donors in 2021. That is going to be called Turn It Off, okay? I, feel, I believe this is the first time I've ever talked about this on the podcast, okay? Turn It Off is going to be dedicated to shows from the world of off-Broadway, okay? So we're going to be talking about off-Broadway musicals starting in April 2021, I believe. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. Please, 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 I am begging you. I am begging you. I love reading those reviews, but more importantly, it really does help raise and elevate the brand, the brand of this show, okay? You might be listening through Spotify, you might be listening through Stitcher or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, that's at musicalmanpod, a lot going on over there on Twitter. And you can also email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I love getting emails. Send me your questions, your takes. Have you seen Town? What do you think about Town? Was I right about Town? Was I wrong about Town? Am I a genius? Am I a fool? Tell me. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. I loved speaking with them this past week. That really was a highlight of my week. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, 
Well, you know what that sound means. Oh, yes. Just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. I will not be doing that.